Good afternoon, folks, and thanks for joining us. We are back. Part two, UFC 285, the big one. MMA Sucker Podcast. My name is Tim Ween, joined as always by Fraser Crown. Fraser, what's going on today? Yeah, you know, like, like we said um, yesterday when we recorded our weekend review, we had to give a whole episode to this card because it is an absolute... I mean, from top to bottom, I was looking at it again. We, we know the card was great. I looked at it again this morning. It's like, wow, this is a really good card. So I'm just excited to jump straight into it and uh, break it down with you. Absolutely, absolutely. I'll set the table a little bit. I'll offer a few different ideas and then I, take it away. I, I know we've been doing a lot of tape study and stuff like that, but let me set the table a little bit. John Jones vacated his light heavyweight title three years ago after being unanimously crowned top three greatest of all time. Controversy or not, he's one, two, or three. Doesn't matter where you stand on all the other accusations. He never has problems inside the cage. His All of his problems stem from things outside the cage. Coming into this fight, he's going to be fighting the former interim champion, Cyril Gaon, at heavyweight. He's a man who matches him in size. Uh, John Jones will again have a reach advantage in this fight, which is quite typical for his career, but still going up to heavyweight. First time in history. He's older than he ever has been. I think in his career, he's beaten like six or seven former UFC champions during his run. He had a legendary run in his time, but I think this is the most important fight of his career because I think his legacy is up for grabs. Not and, and and to compare it to a very similar situation with George St. Pierre, when he went up and wait to fight Michael Bisping, his legacy was was already cemented. John Jones, with how many controversies he's had, I think he needs this win to really put him on that Mount Rushmore. But maybe I'm wrong here. What do you think, Fraser? No, I completely agree. And and you know, this this heavyweight move has been rumored. For, for 10 years 10 years, 10 he, years. Beat, he beat shogun and said i'm gonna go up to heavyweight <laughs> exactly exactly and you know i think in in a way he he's he's done it right he's he's not done a a uh israel adesanya going up in weight and and just hoping that his skill sort of prevails obviously it's completely different with the the fact that people can weigh in anywhere between you know 207 pounds and 265 but You've got to ask, you know, yes, he's put the size on for heavyweight, but has it been too long since, you know, 2013 room to be going up to heavyweight? That, that you know, that's fine. He obviously was able to make light heavyweight and have the more of a size advantage over the guy. You know, Daniel Cormier is biggest rival today. Mm-hmm. Daniel Cormier has a 72-inch reach advantage. John Jones sits at, I think, 80, 83 or 84-inch. So, you know, he had a 12-inch reach advantage over Daniel Cormier, who himself is... Let's be honest, was a heavyweight that didn't want to face Cain Velasquez because he was a teammate. Yes. I'm I'm slightly worried for John Jones. Not that with regards to to the, the the fight itself, but if he loses, I feel that he's maybe wasted three years of his career really putting on the size, really putting on the weight, really, you know, making himself into a heavyweight. To then potentially, you know, it's a tough matchup against Cyril Gunn to then lose and lose out on three years of your career when you know, he his career, let's be honest, hasn't gone how we thought it would be when he beat uh, Shogun for the for the bout back in twenty eleven. Twenty eleven. Twenty eleven. You know, he's twenty twenty one years old, I believe, or twenty three. I can't, I can't remember. Bad, yeah, yeah youngest amazing. ever UFC champion. Yeah, he his his career, in my opinion, hasn't gone the way that we all thought it it, it might when, when he captured the bout. He's had this, you know. He's had the time off after facing Daniel Cormier the first time. He's had the time off after facing Daniel Cormier the second time. He's had the the pull out of UFC 200. He's had the 
last I think was it fight week that it the Gustafsson two fight change from from Vegas yes. to California because of the yeah. picogram gate should Correct. we call it he's then you know then we thought we were finally getting John Jones you know he had competed in the December of 2018 the March of 2019 the July of 2019 the February of 2020 and we thought this is right you know we're back to prime John Jones he's just put a stamp on that Gustafsson rivalry in the second fight when he finishes him in the third round. He looked yeah. vicious in there with that ground and pound. A tough a tough watch, you know, because everyone likes Alexander Gustafsson, one of the good guys of the sport, but he just put manners on Gustafsson. And then the Anthony Smith fight, a little bit flat, but he still dominated the fight. Then the Thiago Santos fight, a little bit flat, but he still won the fight. Dominic Reyes fight, very flat. Did he win the fight? We're thinking, okay, maybe, you know, is it going to be the next time John Jones maybe is just too flat for yeah. for, for this weight anymore? That was three years ago. I know. If he comes back and is still flat against the Cyril Gan, who is, I'd say, maybe the quickest, if not the second quickest heavyweight behind Tom Aspinall with his hands, you know, he's probably the, he's the best kicker at, at heavyweight. He's the best, without a doubt, the best mover at heavyweight. He's, he's, he moves like a middleweight. Yeah. If John Jones is flat, especially with the extra weight on, on on his frame, could be a long night and a wasted three years for John Jones. But you know we'll have to wait and see uh, on Saturday night, which is what makes the fight so so good and so intriguing. There's so many moving parts to this to this matchup, just like you were listing there. There's just so many different variables of of John Jones uh, of what could happen. Hey, it's only like this is going up on Wednesday. Who knows what could happen between now and Saturday? There's so many different variables, even just on that alone. Uh, there's so many variables with John Jones' age going up to heavyweight. So let's boil it down to the most simplest like idea that I can offer, and then we can really like get into the nitty gritty. One thing this is this was brought up because you brought up the three most recent fights where he looked kind of flat. It's weird to see people on Instagram and Twitter talking about like, oh, it's Return of the King, the Lion is back. Like, have you guys seen John Jones fight lately? You're only as good as your last fight. You're only as good as your last fight. I think what happens in online spheres is people just watch highlights and then they kind of forget what the actual fight was like. You know what I mean? Of like, none of those highlights are the most recent three. Anyway, so let's boil it down to the most simplest. Let's boil it down to the most simplest and then we can start from there. In a pure kickboxing, Muay Thai, or even boxing fight, I think this is an easy fight for Cyril Gaon. In any sort of wrestling or Brazilian jiu-jitsu submission grappling fight, this is an easy matchup for John Jones. That's as simple as I can make it. On the ground, it is such an easy fight for John Jones. Standing up, it is a kind of an easy fight for Cyril Gaon, in all honesty. I know a lot of people are like, hey, John Jones has pretty good stand-up. He has okay stand-up. He has all right. He's one shot, and he moves out of the way. He's very good at distance control and framing off, and he's pretty good at kicks. I'll give him that much. However, I, I don't want to get into it too much. But it's going to be a matter of how he performs at heavyweight, how his age looks, can he still get the takedowns, uh, all that sort of stuff. Fraser, start us off. Get into the nitty-gritty. Let's, let's get it going. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I completely agree with everything you're saying. And just to touch on the the first point that you made, yeah. it's only when it's only what yeah Tuesday today. Yeah. So, and <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure if Dana White has the faith because why else would he be having Sergey Pavlovich weigh in as an alternate for the for the heavyweight main event that came out I think last night. Yeah. There was rumors it would be Stipe, but I know that Stipe is going to be in attendance. There was rumors it would be Curtis Blades. Again, he'll be in attendance, but none of them will be officially weighing in for the bout. Yeah. This did, this doesn't, you know, there's no there's no alternate for the flyweight co-main event. I know it's slightly different because it's the main event and whatnot, but there's no alternate. There's there's no there was no alternate for 
um Alexander Volkanovsky and Makachev. You know, yes, there was there was lightweight fights on the on the card, but there was no there was no alternate. Yeah, I know what it kind of tells you all you need to <laughs> yeah. say. But no, yeah, going into the uh, into sort you know commenting on the point that you you just made. Yeah, stand up. I completely agree. I think stand up Cyril Gann is, you know, if you look down his record, the guys that he struggled with. <laughs> He he did struggle with with Francis Ngannou, who you'd say yeah, as a stand up guy. But Francis Ngannou wrestled him yep. in the first two two and a half rounds. Cyril Gann was piecing Francis Ngannou up, hence the takedown from from Francis Ngannou from the from the third round. I think it was. Um, I was double check that because I don't want to. No, you're yeah, yeah, I think it was yeah. Third round because so, he turned the fight around then. Yeah, so so uh, so yeah, the first two two rounds. Uh, Francis Ngannou did not attempt a single a single takedown. He was outstruck in both of those two rounds. Then the third round, fourth round, and fifth round. Uh, sorry, third round and fourth round. Um, Francis Ngannou lands the takedowns, mm-hmm. and then the fifth round, Cyril Gann gets a takedown, but Ngannou has more uh, more control, which kind of tells you all you need to know about Cyril Gann's stand up is that we haven't seen him struggle. Taito Avasa last time out. Taito Avasa was never gonna, never gonna shoot for a takedown, which made it a fairly. Yes, he was dropped in that fight, but that just says more about the power of Taito Avasa, that he was never gonna look to take Shogun down. What does worry me slightly is that obviously we've had the the quote from Shogun saying, you know, I don't train in between fights. I, yeah. I train when I've got a fight booked. He hasn't been training for John Jones. John Jones is just going to ankle pick him in the first ten seconds, take him down, and maul him. That's what I'm worried about. That it will be, you know, just a blowout on in favor of, of John Jones. But you know, I think we know what John Jones is like. He's arrogant in the best possible sense of the word. I think he'll stand with Cyril Gann for as long as he wants to, and then he'll probably try and look to take the fight down. You know, here he. he I think he'll want to feel the heavyweight frame. So he might, you know, like we said about Tatiana Suarez last time, uh, last weekend, I think he'll stand with Silgan to feel how a heavyweight kind of feels a little bit. He'll get into the clinch a little bit, see how how much stronger Gan is. You know, we've seen the guys that John Jones has been training with, with the greatest respect, they're not the the elite sparring partners that you, you'd expect. John, you know, we've got Dante Miles, uh, Maurice Green, there's the and um, like Walt there's Harris. The, there's the there's the idea in training that sometimes you bring in sparring partners for confidence, and I think that's what John Jones may have done. I mean, obviously he's, he's having the looks of the, and the feels of these guys with regards to the physical size of them, but skill for skill, Cyril Gann wipes the floor with probably all of them in in a single night. You know, it's yeah. It's I think, like I say, I think John Jones is arrogant enough that he'll stand with with Cyril Gann until he feels that he doesn't have to anymore and then he'll be able to take it down, which is, is a crazy thing to say when we're talking about the top, top level of MMA. But he can he can take Silgun down with ease, in my opinion. Well, let, let's talk about it because that is going to be the hinge of the fight. That is going to decide basically how this fight is going to go. Can So a couple of things. John Jones, in his entire UFC career, has never been heavyweight. He actually makes light heavyweight quite easily. He's never struggled with weight. Even during his uh, junior college wrestling career, he was never heavyweight. He's never been a big guy in his entire career. Um, This is the first time that he's going to be performing, doing anything athletic with a heavyweight frame, with a heavyweight body. So it becomes a question of, 
And and we'll add in the point that Ed Gallo brought up, and we talked to Melissa Dixon about it, of if you weren't drilling wrestling for five years, do you lose those skills? Do those skills fade over time? I don't know. And how will he perform at heavyweight? Will his cardio, you know, make it out? I think if we saw it pound for pound style, regardless of, of adding muscle, yeah, I, I think John Jones can probably get the takedown just in the same way that he did to Alexander Gustafson. But then we bring in the factors age, heavyweight, maybe not drilling wrestling for a few years there. Let's let's go from there. Are all those factors still there, Fraser? What do you think? This this is it, you know, this yeah. is this is the, yeah. this is the question. I know if, if we if we spoke to Dominic Cruz, he'd say our ring rust doesn't exist. But we saw it with Tatiana Suarez. I don't think, you know, after we spoke about it yesterday, I've sort of reflected on it. I don't think that was age cat. That was just ring rust, you know. She's she's yeah. been out and but she's been out injured, which is a difference between her and Jones. True. So she she maybe has a little bit more ring rust than, than we'd expect from John Jones because obviously he hasn't had any you know, he didn't sort of semi retire due to injury, semi retired due to wanting to put on size and outside the octagon influences, shall we say. But, yeah. you know, just looking down their records now, John Jones has had one fight since July of 2019. Mm-hmm. Cyril, Cyril had a career. <laughs> has had, literally, he, he's had, you know, he debuted in August 2019 yeah. in the UFC. <laughs> he's had a career, yeah. <laughs> he's had eight, eight wins and one loss, including, you know, multiple headliners. He's used to to his frame lasting for twenty five minutes. Yep. Is he used to his frame re- lasting twenty five minutes when he has to constantly wrestle? Is the question sort of you know bringing back to the point that you made? If he's not drilling wrestling for, you know, if he's not sort of having a twenty five minute wrestling match hypothetically in in inspiring and in training, which you know, like we say, he, he he has said that he doesn't train in between fights. That's when you level up your game. And he didn't you know, you, do. He didn't go to AKA for this. He didn't train stateside, as you and I talk about so much. He stayed exactly, where he um, was. That's not a great sign. How good is the the sort of the wrestling? I'm, I'm not denying that he's probably got really good wrestling coaches, but how good is the wrestling, the pool of wrestlers that you can get over to France on fairly short notice? This fight hasn't been booked for six months. Yeah, this is. I'd, was it this year? Maybe we saw the the leaked pictures. I can't remember when this yeah. fight was was officially announced, but. Yeah. you're talking sort of you know you're in a 10-week camp maximum i'd say and for cyril gown to not to admit that he doesn't try you know we can only take what all fighters say with a pinch of salt but for cyril gown to say that he doesn't train in between fights you know like, like you said we we spoke to melissa dixon about it and everyone you know all the fighters we speak to they admit that you know they don't sort of learn new tricks in training camp Training camp is about getting the weight down, you know, working on a specific game plan for their opponent. They learn the new tricks and they they level up in between camps mm-hmm. because they've got this, you know, six months or in Jones's case, three years, but because they've got all this time off. So from the what is it, September, I think it's September 3rd, Cyril Gann's last performance in Paris, mm-hmm. he... he you know him and his coaches know that he's an elite striker probably outstrikes anyone in the heavyweight division yes so put that on the back burner you're not going to forget those skills the first let's say he doesn't he doesn't hit pads for two months he's not going to then go in there and look like an amateur he's going to still have that ingrained you know it's a it's a it's a muscle memory it's a lifestyle of striking a, a lifetime of striking he just needs to he he should in my opinion he should have from 
September the 5th, you know, you have September the 4th off, you just be in your home, home, um, home country of France. He needs to be drilling wrestling. You know, with the greatest respect to Francis Ngannou, he's, his wrestling skills are amateurish in comparison to yeah. someone other John Jones, a, a, a Curtis Blades, you know, these guys are heavyweight. How much, you know, John Jones used to take guys down with relative ease at, at light heavyweight. Yeah. And like that's credited, a skill, accredited that's a skill thing. You know what exactly. I mean? Like, these are Rashad Evans. These were like background wrestlers, Daniel Cormier's and stuff like that. These were accredited wrestlers. Go ahead. Sorry. He's taking these guys down at light heavyweight. And that's a, that's when the guys are, you know, he hasn't got a massive weight advantage over these guys. I'm not saying that he'll have a weight advantage over, over Cyril Gann, but it's a skill. The, the skill deficit, I think, is going to be really what sort of pays dividends for, for, um, for John Jones in this one is, he is going to have that extra weight. So he's going to be able to run the pipe just a little bit, you know, with that bit more power. Yes, Cyril Gunn's going to have more power coming back the other way. But it's a skill thing for me. I think John Jones is probably one of the most skilled, naturally skilled people that we've seen. So if he's really, you know, where is John Jones in, in his career at the moment? If he's really dialed in, I think it will be a long, long night in the wrestling realm for, for Cyril Gunn. But like I said, he might be arrogant and look to stand with Cyril Gunn. You know, you think he's the best striker at heavyweight. You know, welcome back, John Jones. Yeah, John Jones, like you said, with with uh, the reason that he he was so obviously the next in line for being the champion, even when we saw him when he was like, I think he made his UFC debut at 21 and won the championship in 2023, but it was always obvious that he was the champion because you could see him making very sound decisions even before he was training at Jackson Wink. Like he just trained out of his hometown with like his high school like team and he was still out striking people who had way more experience than him. He seems to understand a lot of the setups and a lot of these kind of like defensive, defensively being very defensively sound, uh, he understands a lot of things naturally. And that's why he's he's very dangerous on the feet. Now, earlier I said he's not great on the feet. He is effective at what he does with the framings, with the kicks, with the elbows. He's very effective with those techniques because it is usually techniques for a reason. He's trying to build to something else. And that's saying a lot. He's not trying to strike with guys. He's trying to strike with them and build to something else. So your official prediction is John Jones wins via decision? I think he, he can be... <laughs> The the thing is with with, with the, the prediction is that I I think John Jones wins by decision. That's that's my prediction, right? Fairly comfortably. However, I think a lot of his, like you say, his certain movements, the framing, the elbows, especially that that oblique kick, can lead him to getting clipped big by by Sirogan. If he Sirogan isn't going to be flat footed, he, he's the best mover, despite the fact he's a, he's heavier than Dominic Reyes, Thiago Santos. You know, yeah, Anthony Smith. You know, Anthony Smith and Thiago Santos used to make middleweight. Cyril Gann's got to cut off a limb to make middleweight, <laughs> yeah. and yet he's still a better, quicker mover, in my opinion, than both of those guys. Yes. If Jones misses an oblique kick, which is a he, he, you know, he puts all his weight into those oblique kicks, so he's stepping right into Cyril Gann's range. With someone like a Dominic Reyes, who isn't a great mover, is he's more, you know, he, he's not going to be a guy that sort of steps out of range and manages to get back in range straight away. If he if Jones misses with an oblique kick, which is a very real possibility against Cyril Gann, who, as we know, is on his toes for 25 minutes if needs be. Yep. He misses an oblique kick. He's right in Cyril Gann's range for the elbows. That's Junior Dos Santos. Yep. Cyril Gann can slam an elbow. Is he going to be able to get into 
sewer guns range to to frame off and and land you know jones is you know cutting elbows he's spinning elbows that we're used to him the knees how he beat up Glover to Shearer, how he obviously got the guillotine against Lyoto Machida, how he did, you know, he didn't do that well against Daniel Cormier in the clinch. If you remember, Daniel Cormier knocked his gum shield. Out. I think that was the first round in their in their rematch, or first or second round anyway. And you know, let's not forget that's that's Daniel Cormier, who's a, a, a good Greco-Roman wrestler, but he's uh, but he's not a traditional Muay Thai clinch kind of guy different clinch different clinch altogether yeah exactly with daniel cormier in the clinch you're worried about being taken down but still gan in the clinch you're worried about him slamming a knee into your face i mean like i say my official prediction is john jones by by decision but i really wouldn't be surprised if still gan caught him and 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 maybe even finished him you know it could be a sort of tied to a vasa type finish where he he just hits a big counter and catches jones unawares and 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 you know just just separates it from consciousness that that much to to be able to then you know throw the extra shots and get the the referee involved it's it's a fascinating match i'm really excited about it yeah and there's a lot of things that 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 ideally cyril gone could counter extremely well because of his muay thai background but i i i want to be completely frank with that muay thai background yes he beat he was a muay thai world champion and he beat the number one ranked heavyweight in muay thai please understand how thin that entire division is. You know, it's, it's heavyweight yeah. Muay Thai. There's like eight guys worldwide who would do it at any one point. I mean, it's, it's not the biggest feather in your cap. It's not winning a Muay Thai title under lightweight. You know what I mean? Where like, that's no, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But ideally, like, I think like a teep kick, especially to the knee or an elbow or a clinch, these are Muay Thai techniques that you would think, uh, someone like a Buakau, if he was a heavyweight, oh man, he'd run, he'd run the, he'd run the pike against John Jones with with those techniques. I have maybe Cyril Gon does have those techniques. I haven't seen him counter those directly, so I can't say for sure. I I would like to think he can because he does come from uh, a Muay Thai. Did he do Savat as well? Uh, I I believe uh, nothing there, but maybe he did some, some Savat. Something that I've yeah I've I've heard maybe it was an interview, but I've heard him um, speaking about it and it, that. I mean, it would make sense, you know, the sort of on the toes, sort of almost. Is is he kind of has a mixture between the the Muay Thai and the the sort of karate style, as it were? Do you know what I mean? He he uses that in and out movement, and some of the shots that he throws aren't normal shots. We saw against Taito Avasa in in September. It's not just a a sort of teep kick down the middle. It kind of comes round and sort of on the curve. So he so when he lands, even if he misses, his foot is never. He doesn't have to go back, sort of. I know it sounds ridiculous, but he doesn't have to go like put his leg up, hit his opponent, and come back to a stance position. He kind of comes round, almost like a reverse roundhouse teep kick to the. St- I can't even describe it, but it, it the way that he throws it means that he's, he, you know, even if he misses, he's there probably, you know, putting the left hand behind if he does it off the lead, obviously. Um, or or, or likewise, if he does it with his left foot, you know. He comes round and he, he can land the right hook, or he can he can um, get under the clinch. Mm-hmm. He's so quick when he throws these strikes. He, you know, we rarely see him off really off balance. And I think when he did get knocked down by Taito Avasa, I don't. Yes, John Jones. We've never seen him at heavyweight, but I don't think that John Jones is going to have that power. Taito Avasa cuts to one sixty five and is a natural, humongous guy who is a natural heavy heavy hitter. John Jones. You know, it's not like he he was getting knockout after knockout after knockout at light heavyweight. 
and then has just put on some size and his, his power will carry carry through. Mm-hmm. You know, McGregor is completely different. His power is carried up to to lightweight. It's carried up to to welterweight because he's got that freakish power at one forty five. He obviously then you know freakish power against Eddie Alvarez. John Jones hasn't shown that. He's just shown you know a lot more skill than than anyone at, at two hundred five. Is that going to be a factor that even if he is landing on Silgan, it's not really having an effect? Silgan's been in there for 25 minutes with Francis Ngannou, the hardest hitting heavyweight that we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. He's been in there for the best part of, what, 15-odd minutes with with Taito Avassa, one of the hardest hitting guys we've ever seen. Jarzinho Rosenstrike, he's managed to avoid his big strikes. Junior Dos Santos, phenomenal boxer. Derek Lewis, insane heavy hitter. Alexander Volkov, a kind of point fighter, but mm-hmm. who knows how to crack? Chilgan knows how to avoid the strikes of, of these huge, huge, huge hitters. And I don't think John Jones is a huge hitter. So if if John Jones is, you know, I, I can almost see John Jones, you know, hit, landing on Chilgan, not quite getting the outcome that he expects now that he's this big, you know, scary heavyweight that's been doing squats for, for three years and deadlifts for three years and all this. And getting a little bit frustrated that Sirigan still stood there in front of him, bouncing up and down on his toes. But you know, like I say, I, I do think John Jones will win by decision. And it, arguably, just because if you look, Sirigan's had 12, 12 professional fights. John Jones has had twenty-seven. He's had double the amount of fights. I think he's had John Jones. Ti- will... He's had like twelve title matches in his career. More, I think more than he hasn't yeah. had a title fight since. Uh, sorry, he hasn't not had a title fight. Sorry, since he beat Shogun. <laughs> 2011, yeah. Five, six, seven. Eight, it was Ryan nine, Bader as well was his last non-title fight. Like, it's a pretty good run this guy's got. This will be his 16th straight title fight. Yeah. He's had more title fights since than, than Cyril Gannon's had professional MMA fights, and I think that might pay dividends. Like I say, if John Jones finds himself one or two rounds down, he probably just snatches a leg and makes it a little bit boring and says, look, it's my first fight at heavyweight. I'm back now. Bring on... Kurt, bring on Stipe in July. Bring on Curtis Blades and Pavlovich winner in in August. You know, the, I think he that's the kind of thing that he, he he does. He says, "Look, you know, let's not forget that his his last three fights were pretty forgettable. You know, he hasn't got a fight of the night since the Daniel Cormier Daniel Cormier first fight, yeah, and then the Alexander Gustafsson fight before that, the first one between them two. So he's not in these all out wars, and I think he's he's willing to make it a little bit of a." "Quote unquote boring fight just to get the job done," which you know is I don't have a problem with. Khabib kind of made a career out of it before he started finishing guys. So. But I'll pick the exact opposite. I'm going to take the other gamble of the. I don't think John Jones still has it. I don't think he's going to translate very well to heavyweight. And I, yeah, I think those two factors. I think his wrestling is going to struggle with the strength, um, and I do think he's. I think he was out of shape three years ago and struggling with motivation. So I'm going to pick the other gamble. And maybe I'm entirely wrong, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but yeah, I, I think Cyril Gantz is going to pick him apart from range. I think John Jones is going to slow down in the later rounds. I don't think there's going to be a finish in this fight. Either guys are not, like, there's just no history of these guys getting knocked out. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to pick the other gamble. I just, I don't see, I'm, I'm doubting it's so hard to make a comeback after years away. It is so hard to make that comeback happen, especially if you're not active and you're not in the gym every day. You know what I mean? I'm like this guy was just doing squat training for like two, one, two years from his from the look of his Instagram. You know what I mean? So you know, that, and it's not even like a comeback. It's a comeback at another weight class, it, and it's not just the comeback at like Tatiana Suarez where she's adding 
you know, yeah. she's just not cutting ten pounds. He's adding, you know, there's rumors that, that Jones will come in as a heavier guy and have to cut down to two sixty five. He's adding sixty yeah. odd pounds onto a frame that, you know, yes, he's big and he's long and he's that, but if you you know. It, his legs, everyone's always said that he's got skinny legs. He he's does. adding 60-odd pounds onto a, a frame that's maybe not built for 265. You know, even seeing the, um, the, the you know, clips and footage that we've we've had out, uh, we've seen this week, he looks big up top, and then he's kind of just narrows out towards the bottom, which, you know, maybe that's just his frame, and it, he, he will be able to hold that frame. Sure. I'm not so convinced. We'll and- see. We'll see. And it's that's that's an interesting thing. It's not like welterweight. So and George St. Pierre, again, very similar situation. He was big for welterweight. And and I guess John is definitely big for light heavyweight, but jumping middleweight, sorry, light uh, welterweight to middleweight is a lot less than jumping light heavyweight to heavyweight. Essentially, George St. Pierre would have to jump to heavyweight for an equivalent weight, 50 pounds. Like he would have to be back up at heavyweight or it would have to be at heavyweight for it to be an equivalent thing. 50 pounds, 60 pounds is a massive difference in this game, right? It's huge. Exactly. And we, we don't see it. We we see, like I say, we see Conor McGregor go from 145 to 150 to 170 and he just didn't yeah. cut weight anyway. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and then he went back down to 155 and then he went up to 170 and you know, we had Israel Adesanya go up twenty pounds, not really put on twenty pounds, and got and saw the, the 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 yeah, quite literally, we saw the issues that that brought with it. Henry Cejudo goes up in weight by ten pounds. Yeah, Alexander Volkov uh, Volkanovsky, sorry, goes up in weight by ten pounds. We don't see these guys put on sixty pounds, and there's a reason for that. You know, look at how small Valentina looks. You know, we'll go on to talk about her in a second, but look how small she looks in comparison to Amanda Nunes. That's ten pounds difference. Yeah, yeah. This, Going up, this could play a factor. Absolutely. And yeah, I'll just finish. Cyril Gunn, this is John Jones in his last three bouts is the first time he looked flat in those ones. That's the first time that someone had matched him height for height. All three of you guys, Dominic Reyes, Anthony Smith, um, and uh, Reyes, all three of them matched him for height. They all had to reach disadvantage, but they matched him for height and he looked kind of flat. In this case, Cyril Gunn is going to match him for height again, be a little bit bigger across the chest, but I think a little bit shorter across the arms. So I, I, that's why I'm picking Cyril Gone. I'm not overly confident in it because I'm rolling the dice on variables. I think those variables will take effect. And you're kind of on the other side saying like, no, I think those variables won't won't come into effect. That's a fair prediction. That's, that's I say why that now. And come Saturday night, we'll see. We'll see. All right. We've beaten it to death. We've talked about all the variables, all the different dice rolls, all the different factors going into that fight. We, we avoided the goat talk because go on Twitter and argue with someone there if that's what you're interested in. But anything else you want to throw on the, on the heavyweight main event before we go to the co-main event? I think, I think that's it. Like you say, we've spoken through all the variables. Now, now we move on to the co-main event where there isn't too many variables from what I can see. I haven't done, I'll be honest, I haven't done an awful lot of tape study because these are two girls I like watching fight because you know valentina shevchenko probably the crispest mixed martial arts that we have you know she, her technique is phenomenal we rarely see her you know she'll do a spinning spinning wheel kick and land exactly where she started mm-hmm. alexa grasso's come on leaps and bounds she looks you know so much better now that she's up at one uh 125 i think she's under yeah she's undefeated at 125 with that being said, I th- it's it's a struggle. It's a struggle for me to see how Alexa Grasso wins this one. No disrespect, but you know, she just hasn't had the competition, in my opinion, 
that that Valentina has. Yes, Valentina again. You know, like like we were just talking about with John Jones, did look flat in her last one. But look what happens. You know, she looked slightly flat against Jennifer Meyer. And look what happens after that. She goes out there and absolutely kills Jessica Andrade, kills Laura Murphy, and then she has another flat performance. Are we going to see her bounce back the other way and kill Alexa Grasso? We'll have to see. But for me, it's a, it's it's a little bit of a struggle to see how Alexa Grasso gets it done. I just think where she's best, Valentino is no Valentina is just better. Yeah, we're not talking about variables, are we? We're not talking about what ifs. We're just like I think Valentina's skills are better. Alexa Grasso's main skill set, her very kind of great crisp boxing on the feet, which has gotten better fight over fight. I think it's very easy to picture Valentina actually is, is better at her strength. You know what I mean? Even if this was a boxing match, we might still pick Valentina Shevchenko. We might be unfair because Alexa Grasso was also improved a lot in between each fight. So if we kind of keep that same trajectory of improvements, you still probably pick Valentina. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing. And, you know, if you just look at the stats alone, kind of tell you everything you need to know is, yes, Valentina lands less strikes at 3.19 to Alexa Grasso's 5.14. But there's not, a, you know, that's, so you're talking two strikes uh, uh, per minute more on, on Alexa Grasso's side. But then you've got to think about the kind of strikes that Valentina Shevchenko's landing. Yeah. Yes, she might be landing two strikes less, but in those, you know, 3.19 strikes, She's whipping a vicious body kick. She's she's you know really slapping the outside leg. She's really looking at injuring that calf. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the strikes absorbed per minute, and Alexa Grasso absorbs four strikes per minute, as opposed to Valentino is just under two. Yeah, she lands less strikes, but Alexa Grasso absorbs more strikes. And I know that's how it's you know it's you can't judge a fight by numbers, but the numbers are there for a reason. Mm. Facts are facts. Alexa Grasso absorbs 4.02 strikes per minute. Against Valentina Shevchenko, that's a lot. Against anyone, that's not that's not an awful lot. You know, if you're if you're facing a, a, someone who's not a traditional striker, let's say Tatiana Suarez, mm. the 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 um, I mean, she did face Tatiana Suarez, but the strikes will be um, yeah. slightly. <laughs> I forget, about, but the strikes will be slightly skewed on that because, you know, Tatiana. Uh, she outstruck Tatiana Suarez twenty-one to four, but Tatiana Suarez took it down twice and locked in the rear naked choke. I think that was in Mexico City years ago now. When you know Maya versus Usman for for context, the less said about that, the better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tatiana Suarez is so good. Is what we can. It was what we can exactly. conclude from breaking down exactly. this fight. <laughs> but then you you think you know Alexa Grasso has made real real good leaps and bounds on in a in a submission game. You know she's got the submission over Joanne Calderwood. But then you look at you look at her takedowns, she's not point four four takedowns per fifteen minutes. So she 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 enjoys sort of life on the feet. Mm-hmm. And she got a takedown defense of sixty four percent. Now what that kind of tells me is that when it gets to the floor, if it gets to the floor, she's she's good. She's solid. You know, ask Joanne Calderwood, she 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 got choked out in the first round. That's her only submission to date. Despite the fact that we know she's good on the floor, that's her only submission today. And Joan Calderwood, with the greatest respect, you know, has shown that that's where the hole is in her game. You know, she's got two rear naked choke losses on the bounce. She's got an arm bar loss. Um, she's got a guillotine loss. You know, she's got another arm bar loss further down in her career. So that that's where the the, the hole comes in in Joan Calderwood's game. 
But when when the fight hits the floor, Alexa Grasso is dangerous, but I think she's going to look to keep this one standing and look to try and outpoint Valentino on the feet, yes. which is something we've never seen from anybody before. The two fights that she struggled in, Jennifer Meyer, where she, I mean, she didn't even struggle in that. She just lost a round, which was, was kind of new to see. And the Talia Santos fight, they both gave her problems on the ground. Mm-hmm. Like you say, Grasso gets so much better in between fights how much better can you get in between fights? Can you get up to the level, the striking level of a Valentina Shevchenko? I'm not convinced that she can, I'm afraid. Yeah, when you like the, the fewer variables, so I think the easiest way to boil it down is to use what heavy hands has talked about is the A and B game. So who's, if you do A game versus A game, who wins? Well, Valentina. If you do B game versus B game, who wins? Valentina you know what I mean like there's there, it, there's just not Grasso doesn't have the ability to exploit Valentina's weaknesses and she doesn't have the ability to exploit or to beat her in her own strengths I just don't think that's the style to beat Valentina however however if Alexa Grasso does get it done it would be amazing like what I what I like an underdog story where she started in MMA to where she is now what that would mean for for the country of Mexico there is a ton of and she's kind of a really nice person too like in interviews she's she's a sweetheart but like that would be a a a miracle I would I would argue like that that's a tougher fight that's a very hard fight uh it's a very hard pick I, I wouldn't yeah. confidently even put money as like oh I'm happy to lose a hundred bucks but maybe she'll win you know what I mean I might just lose a hundred. Yeah, for sure. And if you look at the, you know, and that's probably, if you just look at the 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 past four fights of Alexa Grasso, yes, she's undefeated at 125. Gion Kim was her first fight at 125, went to a decision. Since then, Kim has lost three straight. And arguably, shouldn't be in the UFC anymore, is what it is. Macy Barber, that's a good win. However, that's Macy Barber coming off a year's ACL surgery, and that's that strange fight where Macy Barber just yeah she stood out of range. Yeah, she didn't know. I don't think that you were meant to hit your opponent. She was just kind of throwing strikes and and keying out of range. It, yes, it is what it is. Joanne Coldwood, I think, is a really good win, but Joanne Coldwood unfortunately isn't um, isn't at the level that she once was. I think she's slightly on the decline. I I do see her actually retiring in London. Uh, if she gets to win over Luana Carolina. And then Vivian Arujujo last time out, I think that's a phenomenal win. You know, Hansa, absolutely uh, only a fourth professional loss, you know, third in uh, third in the UFC. But, you know... And, and just... style-wise, it was very important as well. Like, she, it was sure. A-game versus A-game, and she beat her. That's great. Exactly. I just, I just think, you know, and, and like you said, for the country of Mexico, you know, you've got... Brandon Moreno, you've got uh, Yaya Rodriguez having won the interim, what, two, two and a half, three weeks ago. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Amazing, seriously. For me, it's just a real, like you say, it's a real tough, tough sell. Yeah. Valentina does a couple of things really well, and I'll just I'll quickly list them up. We've talked about them on the show before, but she's like a very if-then kind of fighter of like, I'll beat you on the feet. If you get close, I'm happy to clinch and do a, a like a toss or a sweep. No problem there. If I'm on top on the ground, I'm dominant. Like she's very easy of like, Oh, she's very good at if you think you can beat her there, she has a she has something there. She's always if then. She's a very good like calculated uh, fighter, and uh, yeah, she styles on people. Anyway, should we move on? I don't think there's anything else we can we can get out I, of that one. Unfortunately, I think that that is it. I, I you know, I like yeah. Valentina. I'd like Alexa Grasso to win because it's just something new for the division. It's another Mexican champion, and like you say, she seems like a really nice. Not that Valentina doesn't seem like a nice person, but Valentina is a, a vicious human being, but. 
<laughs> Shavkat Rachmanov time. Shavkat time. Man, I'm pumped for this. I am excited for this. He was one of the, uh, like, keep your eye on this guy, undefeated hype machine, but he's so polite. He's so nice. He just, he doesn't have the same hype machine that Hamzat Shamayev had, but they essentially have the same kind of background. And Shavkat, uh, just, like, th- these are now the wins in the top 10 that we're going to be talking about. I was like, man, remember when he did that? That was incredible. I, I have no doubt he's going to beat Jeff Neal, but tell me a little bit more about this Fraser Crone. He's 16 and 0 16. with 16 finishes. And it's not like he's got 16 knockouts, so he's just got really heavy hands, but when it hits the floor, he's got eight knockouts and eight submissions. Yep. He's a flipping are we, talent. Are people. He, on paper, he's better than Hamza Chimaev, but because he doesn't call and say that he's going to smash everyone and all this he's doing it the right way he's doing you know he's crawling through the ranks he's not jumping to gilbert uh which i mean that's a, that's a great win for hamza we should you know that gilbert burns is yeah. an amazing win that's a great win but however but, you know to start with alex alex Oliveira choke him out very good win yes then he had two maybe where he should have maybe fought up a little bit but i think he had a couple of pullouts and, and or a couple of sort of late notice ones then neil magny Yep. No one beats Neil Magny with ease. <laughs> Shafkat beat Neil Magny with ease. With ease. And we're talking <laughs> like ease. He was never in 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 it. He was never a problem. And now Jeff Neil, you know, he withdrew from the main event slot, I think, what was that, two beginning of January, I think, that was second or third card of the year in January. He now rematches Jeff Neal in a three-round fight. If I was Jeff Neal, I would have wanted a five-round fight, A, because I would have got more money, but B, because, you know, I want to see what, what Shavkat's like if you if you have to extend him. You know, Jeff Neal is... I actually thought he was on a longer winning streak than he was. He's only on a two-fight winning streak against Santiago Ponzinibbio, who has just fallen off a cliff since he, he had all that time out. Yeah. And, and then he, he rebounded with the big finish victory over Vicente Luque, you know, becoming the first person to stop Vicente Luque with strikes. Yeah. I just think Shavkat's going to be too well-rounded for him. You know, if you look at the wins that Jeff Neal's got, you know, biggest win, Bilal Mohamed, which is a, f- a phenomenal win. Great win. But then, you know, Nico Price didn't go the distance or shock. Nico Price, I, don't, I think, has gone the distance once and drawn, so it's kind of ironic. Mike Perry finishes him in the first round. Well, yeah, because Mike Perry's not a very good fighter. <laughs> Loses to Stephen Thompson, loses to Neil Magny, beats Ponzinibbio on a split, and then finishes Vicente Luque. He's a great gatekeeper. He's a very good gatekeeper. Phenomenal. Right? And I think, you know, if if this was anyone else, not Shavkat Ratmanov, I'd probably pick Jeff Neal because I think Jeff Neal's just hitting that run of form now where mm. he's making that push. But it's Shavkat, you know, for, for me, I just don't see, you know, yes, he's been caught a couple of times his career, but he's 16 and 0 with 16 finishes, eight submissions, eight knockouts. Mm-hmm. He's the best prospect that no one's talking about. And you know, we we talk about him because we we know MMA. We follow this sport religiously. Yeah. If you show people a picture of him and a picture of Kamzat, I know. which one of these two guys do you recognize? They're probably going to say Kamzat Jamayev, despite the fact that Rachmanov, in my opinion, has a higher ceiling than Jamayev. And he's also... professionally makes weight. But... And, uh, yeah, he makes way. Hamzat also looks like a fighter. If someone showed me a picture of Shavkat and it's like, you know, this guy sells cars, so I'd be like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, that's what he looks. Yeah, like. yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he could do anything. He doesn't have that yeah. fighter face. Anyway, sorry, it was totally an aside. I think maybe it's easier of like, what what would 
what's next for Shavkat? He moves closer to the top five. I think he'd be number six, if not top five. What's next for him? What? It's only, uh, what, what's the word that we're looking for? It's only killers ahead of him at that point. That's pretty, well, that's pretty what impressive. What I'm worried about for Shavkat is that he becomes a little bit like Leon Edwards, where he's just avoided. Yeah, oh, yeah, probably. He's, he, you know, he's not a massive knee. He's ranked number nine at the moment. It's just gone up one in the rankings, which... Cool. Great. Yeah, Miss why not? Who Hasn't fought for ages, but yeah, why not? You know, if he does beat Jeff Neal, like you say, he probably overtakes Jeff Neal and becomes number seven. But then who do you fight? You know, Kamara Usman obviously booked with, with Leon. Colby Covington out at the moment. Hamza probably fighting at 185 next. Yes, that's what he said. Bilal Mohammed. That's a risky Bilal, for both of them. Bilal's looking for a fight with with Colby, and then obviously Gilbert's getting the money fight with Jorge Masvidal, and you don't fight down as you know, no disrespect, but he doesn't fight as Stephen Thompson because I think he's slightly yeah. beyond Stephen Thompson now. So you know, we'll have to see on Saturday night if he wins. I'm if if it wasn't obvious enough, picking him to win. Uh, yeah, no doubt. Probably no doubt. by submission again. No disrespect to Jeff Neal, but I think his ground game's just more just just superior. And, you know, I think he moves on to 17 and 0 with 17 finishes. Awesome stuff. I, I agree with you. Cosign on all that. Hey, how about this late replacement fight, which is just like, mm, oh, Matush Gamrot versus Jalen Turner. This is a, man, Matush saw the opportunity to get that win bonus. And he was like, I'm going to take it. Because this is, this is a really tough fight for Jalen Turner. Uh, stop me when I'm wrong here. What do you think? What do you make of it? Is this fight better than the original? Oh, absolutely it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, absolutely it is. And it was a good fight before too, but this is a better fight. I mean, if I'm Jalen Turner, I'm thinking I'm number 10 I'm ranked, and I'm fighting ranked number 11, Dan Hooker. Dan Hooker breaks his arm or breaks his wrist or his hand or whatever. And yeah. Jalen Turner's probably thinking, right, I'm going to have to fight someone outside of the top 15 just to stay on the card. You know, I'm training for this. I'm ready. Matus Gamot throws his cap in the ring. He's like, right, I can fight up. I can fight someone ranked higher than the guy that I was scheduled to fight. Right, you're ranked number seven. I rank number two. Give where's someone send me the contract quicker and give me a pen. <laughs> With that being said, I think it's a much tougher fight. I think so too. A much tougher fight because Dan Hooker is a stand and bang warrior. With Matush Gamrot is you know, you can bait Dan Hooker into different things. Matush Gamrot. You, you can get Dan Hooker into a wild fight. Matush yes. Gamrot, I think, unless he's down on the cards like we saw him last time out against Brendan or Dayush, where he has to chase the fight. I think Matush Gamma is calculated. He's a lot more sort of sensible in there. And he's a lot more well rounded than Dan Hooker, in my opinion. He can he he'll look to to ground Jalen Turner. Yes. If you can't get it to the ground, okay, that's not a problem. I will I will strike with you until I can get it to the ground. You know. Remember that fight with was it Gamrot and um Saruki. Yes, yeah. it was. I was going to talk about that exchange, one. Exchange, wrestling exchange, wrestling exchange, wrestling scramble exchange. Scramble after scramble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if Jalen Turner can deal with that kind of pace and, and scramble. With that being said, if you look at his last five fights, ground and pound finish, rear naked choke, rear naked choke, knockout finish, mounted guillotine choke of, of Brad Riddell. And that mounted guillotine choke came after he he dropped Brad Riddell and then jumped on the neck. I think Gamrot's got to be careful. Just not, not. I don't want to say aimlessly shooting in because that's not the kind of guy that we we know. Gamrot doesn't just aimlessly shoot in, but he's got to be careful when he is shooting in, because Jalen Turner, you know, he's what I think he's yeah six foot three and makes one one fifty five, yeah, which is ridiculous. But he he's got these long limbs where he can 
snatch a neck if Gamrot's not careful. And I can I can see Jalen Turner snatching the neck, but I can also see Gamrot just going in there 15 minutes, getting back in that wing column and, and progressing on it, which would be, for me, a really good win for Mateus Gamrot. Obviously, he's coming off the loss to Benil Dayush, where he was, let's be honest, battered. Yeah. <laughs> Benil Dayush dominated Gamrot, and I can see him looking to bounce back with a, with a, a kind of statement domination victory over 15 minutes of Jalen Turner. But on the same page, I can see Jalen Turner snatching the neck. It's 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 a confusing one for me to pick, but I'm I'm excited for it without a doubt. Yeah, Matush Gamrod just has that really fun, exciting style that we had. Like just various scrambles, uh, just an amazing fight with Armin Sarukian, who's just down for scrambles. Benil Darius a little bit quicker on 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 kind of securing positions, and now because of that win, Benil Darius is now the next guy probably in line for the lightweight title. So it's a very it's a he's a highly skilled fighter, former KSW champion, and I'm going to be picking Matush Gamrod all day in that one. Let's move on to Bo Nickel versus Jamie Pickett. Bo Nickel, he's coming off. He was. His collegiate wrestling career is flipping insane. Like, um, he has better NCAA credentials than Daniel Cormier and Mark Coleman, like, combined. You know, like, he's he's a super promising prospect. Um, that's almost an understatement. It's coming off the Dana White Contender Series. Can he put it together in the middleweight division? It, it's a very fresh division for him to, or a very prime division for a wrestler to come in and take everything. But can he get past Jamie Pickett? What, what do we think? What do we make here? Yes. Yeah, it's of a course, setup. This is a course, Of course you can. You know, no disrespect to Pickett. I, 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 I quite like Jamie Pickett. I like the way he fights because he's a long guy that, you know, but he's two and four in the UFC, not including his fights in the contender series. And Bo Nickel's only three and oh, so it's not a terribly it's not a mismatch. Like they he's he's very You know, Jamie Pickett's three. had twenty one professional fights. Yeah. Bo's had three. So it's not a, but, it's not poorly but, matched, but it should be a Bo Nickel win. It, it, it's it's a logic to, to me. It's a logical matchup. You want to kind of build Bo Nickel. For me, I would have put this headline of the prelims, not opening up the main card because I don't see it. Yeah. You know, if Jamie Pickett can protect his neck, and I don't see it being that interesting a fight because Bo Nickel will come out. You, I don't think he'll look to strike with Jamie Pickett. I think he'll just look. How I can see this fight going is Bo Nickel goes in there, pretty much lifts. Jamie Pickett above his head, gets the crowd going, dumps him on his head, and then submits him and says, look, anyone in the middleweight division, I'm I'm here, kind of thing. And that's how I see this fight going. Yeah, They don't put this kind of, you know, I, I know it doesn't mean an awful lot, but putting Bo Nickel on in, in UFC 4, when I think, you know, just looking up the card, I'm not convinced that Alexa Grasso is in it, Jeff Neal and Shavka aren't on it, uh, Mateusz Kamrot and Jalen Turner aren't on it. You know, Drickus Duplessis isn't on it. You know, it, it. They're pushing this guy, and rightfully so. You know, like you say, he's got a uh, credentials to to be pushed. Yes, but there's a reason that they've given him Jamie Pickett and not not a wrestler. I know they put him on the main card. It's a display fight. He should be able to win. It doesn't look like a mismatch on paper because three and zero is not an insane amount. Like remember the French Commission said, uh, uh, the 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 world the champion French Commission. Yeah, uh, I forget his name now. But they were like, hey, three fights is not enough. Well, the UFC disagrees. Three fights is plenty. His only wrestling loss. So if you're gonna come at me with like Bo Nickel, yeah, NCAA, what do you do in the Olympics? He lost the trials to the guy who won gold. Like, calm the fuck down. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. If, if he exactly. went to the Olympics instead of David Taylor, he probably would have won gold. No question asked. He is he is a, a an incredible wrestler. If his body can stay in shape, if he can stay healthy, he might be a champion twenty twenty four. 
or at least at the very least fighting for a title 2024 2025 like that's not an insane thing to say with his credentials no for sure and i mean he's 27 so he's not yet hit his peak yeah he trains out of att so it's not like he's going to be coming going to come underprepared in the stand up game you know yeah. the guys att won't allow him to do that you know yeah. we were talking yesterday about a piece that i've got coming out about ronda rousey who got by because she was so far elite in her in her judo game with yes, pretty amateurish that. striking. Yeah. This won't happen with Bo Nickel. They won't allow him to enter a fight with amateurish striking. They'll, to be honest, I don't think Bo Nickel would have trained a single wrestling takedown in his first six months of training MMA because why, why would, would you? Why, why would you? you? A lifetime of wrestling, learn some hands, which is, yeah. as we've seen in his, in his uh, first three fights, he has done. Cedric Duambe. Anyway, go ahead. Yes, 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 yeah. <laughs> go ahead, sir. But, um, yeah. yeah. I, I he, uh, you know, and he's got, it, it's not like he's coming from a boxing background where, uh, if he can't, if, you know, if, if he gets taken down, he, he's struggling. He comes from a wrestling background where he will be able to take down Jamie Pickett and probably the next six or seven guys that he faces. Yeah, no problem. And like you say, I wouldn't say throw him in there with uh, Alex Pereira yet, but that's a bad matchup for Pereira in the future. <laughs> Let's paper. be honest. You know, and and can you imagine if we have Bo Nickel versus Alex Pereira in a, in, a, in you know say the end of this year, both guys with a combined under twenty fights. You know, <laughs> it just shows that you don't have to be a lifetime MMA competitor to really cut it at the top. But no, I think Bo Nickel gets it done. Like I say, I wouldn't have maybe had him opening up the main card. I probably would have had him headlining the prelims because he's more of a, a crossover star. You, you know, you get that American wrestling fan. Mm-hmm. But then maybe they've done that so that the American wrestling fan pays for the pay-per-view. I'm not sure how they how they kind of, you know, decide on that. But yeah. It's, yeah, it, it's exciting. Yeah, it is. And, and there's a huge contingent of, like, uh, uh, U.S. wrestling. Like, it, it is a bunch of people who love who participated in wrestling we're all watching it and i think it's having like a it's having a moment right now ncaa is on espn and stuff like or ncaa d1 wrestling is on espn anyway let's move down to the the prelim headliner instead of bo nickel promising near olympic wrestler they put two meatheads <laughs> and we might walk away sad and i i don't want to call cody garbrandt a meathead because in his prime he was not a meathead he was one of the most skilled fighters he was a smart striker now he fights like a meathead and he's fighting Trevin Jones. I think we're just going to be sad. I don't, I can't, can't see this being a fun one to enjoy. Well, I, I cannot understand what's happened to Cody Garbrandt since I oh. think that that fight against Dominic Cruz is one of the biggest and most shocking schoolings that I've ever seen. He out Dominic Cruz, he Dominic Cruz, he, he, he did the Dominic Cruz game better than Dominic Cruz did. That was insane, but he did it once I'm... in his entire career. That's you know, the thing. That's yeah. the thing. He did it once, and you know when he fought Thomas Almeida, he was eight and zero. Thomas Almeida was twenty one and zero. We're thinking, oh god, you know this is. And then Thomas Almeida's gone falling off a cliff. Dominic Cruz, since that fight, I don't think you know has been the Dominic Cruz that we're kind of used to seeing. You know, he went then went returned after that fight, lost to Henry Cejudo, back to back wins, then lost to Marlon Vera last time out with that. You know, I say I call it head kick, but it's a nose kick. He kicked his nose across the other side of his face. But Amazing. you know, in that fight, I've watched it so many times. Not just in the run up to this this week, uh, but I've you know maybe one of the fights I've watched the most in my in my life because I'm just so surprised about how he did what he did. You know, not only did he land on him and cut him, he dropped him three or four times. He was dancing in there, but it's just 
he had the wherewithal to get into a, a violent exchange with Dominic Cruz, slip under the hook, snatch a double leg and take Cruz down. I mean, Where was that against TJ Dillashaw twice? Where was that against Pedro Munoz? Where was that against um, Kaikara France last time out? You know, he was dominated by Rob Font on the feet. Yes, he got the sort of comeback knockout of, of Rafael Sal, but even if you just watch that knockout, he... As you were saying, it's kind of a meathead knockout. He kind of yeah. leans against the fence and just wings a big overhand right. I know, I know. Trevin Jones is a good matchup for him because, like you say, Trevin Jones is 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 here for a scrap, and I don't <laughs> think Trevin Jones is going to look to 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 take Cody Garbrandt down. I just really hope for, you know, like I say, I'm I'm a Garbrandt fan after that. Absolutely. After that, uh, Dominic Reyes, uh, Dominic Dominic Reyes, Dominic Cruz fight because. Of just how much he kind of shocked me. Yeah, I think he's a great personality. I, that he, you know, thirty-one years old now. I think he could put another two or three wins together. But he's been down. He's even, you know, he, he's lost a lot of, of bantamweight. He's cut even more weight now, down to flyweight. Kaikara France knocked him out. He's had three cancelled bouts since that fight. He's been over a year and a bit out. You know what you're going to get with Cody Garbrandt is. He's never in a boring fight. Whether he's getting battered or if he's battering someone, he's never in a boring fight. Yes. Which is a good thing, I guess. I think Trevin Jones and Julio Arce and, and Randy Yaha, the, the 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 two guys, and now obviously Trevin Jones, he was, you know, he's scheduled to fight Randy Yaha and um Julio Arce, and now obviously he's got Trevin Jones. I think this is probably Cody Garbant's level at this at this point in his career. I know. And I'm not mad about it. You know, stay at one thirty five, don't get any more weight. Because he, he was a big one thirty five er. And obviously, one twenty-five took even more off his chin. I, I hope Cody Garbrandt gets the win in this one. Just you know, because I don't want to. I don't want to see Cody Garbrandt get knocked out again. I'm not. You know, I have no interest in seeing that. Is a late notice for Trevor Jones, so maybe Cody does. You know, Cody's a phenomenal wrestler. Look to wrestle these guys. Look to take these guys. I know you like the the, the boxing and the striking. You got these fast, heavy hands, but snatch a double leg. Just, just. Just for for the first round, snatch a double leg. Trevin Jones is coming in here on short notice. Snatch a double leg, really deplete your guy's gas tank, and then you can strike with him because then you know he's maybe not as dangerous. You'll be the faster guy when he's tired, but we know what we're going to get from Cody Garbrandt. He's going to go in there. He's going to plant his feet. His, his feet are going to be cemented to the the inner octagon, as it were, and he's just going to swing wild hooks and. If he lands first, he probably knocks Trevin Jones out. If Trevin Jones lands first, he probably knocks no love out. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. But yeah. I'm excited for this one because, you know, Cody Garbrandt, like I say, is never in a boring fight. Yeah. Here, here's how we use stats in sports quite a bit of the time because this is this is, is very, like, uh, let me let me read it out to you. But this is uh, Trevin Jones is a southpaw. Cody Garbrandt is an orthodox. Cody Garbrandt has never lost to a southpaw in his UFC career and Trevin Jones has never defeated an orthodox fighter in his UFC career and, and then now the the obvious answer is like yeah well Trevin Jones has barely won in his UFC career so it's often like we use stats to like make a narrative happen but yeah it is going to be the open side and he's going to be throwing the big big right hook on the open side against the southpaw I think this is a setup to get Cody Garbrandt back in the win column again and good like fine it's fine it's yeah, I don't want to see that guy's brain get separated from. I don't want to see him get separated from consciousness again because it's again. you know, it's again. what T.J. Dillashaw twice, Pedro Munoz took a battering against Rob Font. Yes, he the Rafael himself, then he was knocked out whilst having uh, sorry having cut an extra ten pounds against Kaikada France last time out. That was a bad one. 
I don't want. Uh, I don't want to see that guy's brain sort of shut off any anymore. And not that I want to see Trevor Jones get knocked out. I quite like Trevor Jones, but you know, Cody Garbrandt, go out there, wrestle Trevor Jones to a boring decision, and barely throw a punch. No, I'm, not, I'm not bothered. I just want to see him back in the win column at this point. Absolutely. Let's move down. This this card is, is solid, isn't it? This is a very good card. Derek Brunson versus Drickus Duplessis. Drickus Duplessis is kind of a hot prospect. Uh, people are kind of like in between on where his skills are. Derek Brunson, very solid wrestler inconsistent at times or just like uh bad at the in-between kind of spaces the transitions from stand-up to wrestling is his kind of rough spot uh what do you think of this fight what do you make of it yeah it's, it's a difficult one to predict because Derek brunson you know can he sort of regain the post jared cannonier form when he was looking like a killer you know it was yeah. it was darren till that he defeated and it was kevin holland it was edmund shabazi and it was ian heinish drucker's duplessis has looked phenomenal as well but I think at a slightly at a level down from from the guys that that um, that Derek Brunson. Obviously, they both hold a, yeah, a finished victory over Darren Till. For me, Drickus Duplessis, I don't know if he's got a gas tank or not because he looks constantly tired. But yes, from what from what he he said, no, it's just the way I breathe. I breathe with my mouth open, and he he didn't look to gas against Darren Till. He took a although he off. looks tired, you know. Yeah, although he looked, although he looked tired, yeah. he's a massive middleweight. He's a big muscular guy, so that lactic acid is going to build up. I can see Drickus getting this one done, I just, I, but then I can also see Derek Brunson just kind of, you know, taking Drickus Duplessis down and 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 holding him there for ten to twelve minutes, and then yeah, getting beaten up on the feet for the last three, but just doing enough in the first two. I think, I think my official prediction is probably going to be Derek Brunson, but yeah. at eighteen and two, riding a big win streak for Drickus Duplessis, having you know this isn't a win streak where he's just done it on the local South African circuit. Yeah. It's KSW, you know, he, yeah. he, he is, you know, it's not, like I say, it's not like he's just doing it on a local South African circuit that no one's ever heard of. It's it's KSW, it's the UFC. Yeah. He's highly skilled, but I think Derek Brunson has been doing this for a lifetime, it seems like, and I think it's that, that sort of experience might just pay dividends. Yeah, it's like they couldn't have given Drickus Duplessis a, a, a rising fighter. They couldn't have given him a tougher matchup. You know, I mean, this exactly. is this is this is. Der- 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 could, I think I, but I believe he called for it after his win against Darren Till. So you know, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. He called out the gatekeeper. He he knows like you know, I got to beat the gate. Okay, let's move on. We're running out of time, so we'll just kind of do one minute on each fight because they're worth talking about. Vivian Araujo versus Amanda Rivas or Hibas. I didn't realize this fight was on this card. I know Hebas was scheduled to fight Tracy Cortez at the end of last year. Cortez had to pull out, I think, on the day of Wayans or the day before Wayans. You know, these two women at flyweight, they need to put on a good performance to really sort of, you know, with the flyweight a title fight, they need to put on a good performance. And I can see, I can see a good fight. You know, two Brazilians really going at it. Hebas back up at one twenty-five now. It's a fun one. I'm, I'm excited for it. Yeah, I'll pick Araujo in that one. Let's do Julian Julian Marquez versus Mark Andre Berov. Again, heavy hitting the Cuban yep. missile crisis. Julian Marquez against essentially a wrestler in in Mark Andre Barrio. Yeah, it's a tough. Check one. out James Lynch's uh, interview with Julian Marquez on 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 the YouTube channel. It's a really it's a really good one. But I'm I'm picking Marquez in that one. I think he just catches him, and you know he's he's so heavy handed. It's it's great. It's he's a great watch. It's it's really tough to do tape study on Julian Marquez because it just ends up leading to Kendra Lust and you just kind of like it. <laughs> anyway, let's, so let's move on. Ian Gary's on it. He's fighting Song Kinan. I, I I'm not overly familiar with Song, so I'm I, I'm not probably not going to say anything. 
No, I'm I'm not overly happy with this matchup. Ian Gary three and zero now, and I think he deserves a little bit of a bigger step up than someone who's coming off a loss in the first round by by TKO to Max Griffin. I don't know why Ian Gary isn't fighting Max Griffin. I'm not sure if Max has got a fight booked, mm-hmm. but Ian Gary, I think after his, his debut against I think it was Jordan Williams, um, has obviously now been cut from the UFC. You know he's fought. Darren Weeks to a decision. He's fought Gabe Green to a decision. I don't think his career's quite took off maybe the way that he predicted. But, you know, he's 10-0 and and he's a young guy. So I think, well, he's 25. So he's got the world ahead of him. But I would have expected a slight slight step up in competition. But, you know, it is what it is. Ian Gary will get this one done probably by finish. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I, I think this is meant to kind of kick it off in a certain way. He's a hot prospect. I'm probably trying to get him one. Uh, uh, next one, baby shark, Tabitha Ritchie. Can she get past the gatekeeper Jessica Penne. It's a it's yes. actually a, it's a very good fight. Okay, go ahead. You you've seen I, Tabitha. I, I just I just think that she she can, you know, she's 3 and 0 in the uh, sorry, she's 2 and 1 in the UFC, three fights in the UFC, but with her only loss coming to Manon Fiero, you know, yeah. she she's only lost once in her career to Manon Fiero. Jessica Penne is, you know, she's coming the other side of the mountain whereas um Ricky's, you know, they're sort of is yeah. is what we literally call a crossover fight. One one girl's on her way up, Jessica Penne is certainly on her way down. If Tabitha Ricky can hit that that calf kick like Emily Ducote did last time out, I think we've got a, a real problem for Jessica Penne in this one. I think I agree with you. I agree with you. I think this is a Tabitha fight. There's three other fights on the card that we haven't talked about. Do you want to throw anything on those ones? Just, just uh, Cameron Salmon. Uh, obviously, I think he's a teammate of Drickus Duplessis. 22 years old. Really started with a, you know, he's got a finish on the the contender series, and then in his. Uh, in his UFC debut, you got a standing TKO against Stephen Koslow uh, on the Blakovic versus Ankalaev card at the end of last year. I think that was the same card that that Drickus fought for, yeah, Darren Till. So, you know, that is he is twenty two years old, born in the year two thousand. Yeah, I know. that it's a little that makes me feel old. Okay, uh, he's you know he's, he's five and zero as an amateur. He's six uh, seven and zero as a, as a pro. I'm excited for this one. Taking on Mana Martinez, who I believe, oh no, okay, yeah, he's coming off a split decision victory. I thought he'd just been had been uh, been dominated by by Ronnie Lawrence, but no, yeah, he it, it it's going to be a win for the South African contingent, and you know he's going to be hoping to get that win. So that I think it's I think it's is it Drickus Duplessis is either his coach or his teammate. So he's going to be wanting to carry that momentum into the into Drickus's fight with with Derek Brunson, but. Yeah, for me, it's all about John Jones versus Cyril Gann. We've got so many questions that need to be answered, so and I'm questions. so excited for the fight itself. So many variables. All the writing links and further social media links will be down below. Appreciate you guys joining us for the UFC 285 major breakdown. Fraser, last word goes to you. What do, what do yeah. you got going on? Yeah, just ju- make sure you keep it locked to MMA Circle. We'll be there with staff picks, results, previews, breakdowns, and whatnot. And then obviously me and Tim will jump on next week. It's going to be a long one next week, I can predict, because we've got UFC <laughs> breakdown and we've got a really good fight night card. I believe it's the uh, Petty Yan versus Marab Devashvili <sighs> fight night card to break down. So, uh, so yeah, good. expect, uh, you know, we're going to be doing plenty of tape study on Jones and Garn. And then, you know, like I said, we'll jump into a bit of a preview next week. But yeah, we'll all eyes on Las Vegas this weekend, or, or will it be California, depending on oh John Jones? We, we don't know these <laughs> days. We don't know these days. I hope not to jinx it, but we'll see. <laughs> Thanks so much for your time, Razor. Thank you.